Hello, this is the Sutter Faction Podcast. I'm Evan Sutter. Today's talk is called Mental Health in the Modern World. Is social media making our lives unnecessarily difficult? We have seen so many incredible advancements in technology in recent times, and we seem to have an abundance of choice like never before. But is it these advancements that were meant to make the world an easier place to live that are actually causing a widespread dissatisfaction with life? Is social media helping or hindering people, especially the young, and especially during the socially isolated COVID-19 period? COVID has brought with it many questions and concerns. Businesses are struggling, people are out of work, families kept apart, and we are seeing the toll it is taking on the mental well-being of individuals all over the world. The result of loneliness, worry, fear, anxiety, financial pressures, a lack of sunshine, movement, interests, and many other things. We are facing a major existential crisis. And when you throw in Afghanistan and climate change, rising tensions in China and Hong Kong, Cuba, Tibet, it is easy to to be a little fearful of what the world will look like in 10 weeks, let alone 10 years. And this is all having a huge impact on our health and well-being. And while we have seen more and more spotlights shone on mental health, awareness is increasing and stigma is eroding, and there are a, a plethora of days dedicated to mental health. Things like Are You OK Day, World Suicide Prevention Day, World Mental Health Day, International Day of Happiness. And everyone from schools to business to government is playing a role in improving the mental health of individuals. But we are still facing many obstacles, and we still have many obstacles to overcome. With this new popularity, you could call it, and awareness, we are seeing more and more people talk about their mental health experiences on more and more mediums. We now see LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as platforms of choice for people to, to deliver overt displays of emotions to thousands and thousands of people, the majority of whom are strangers. But is social media the most appropriate forum for this expression? And more importantly, is it the most helpful for the person who is struggling and the most helpful for the people watching? These open expressions come quite naturally to so many people who have grown accustomed to this being a normal way to handle such strong emotions. And these displays are often confused for being vulnerable and courageous. However, open expression without boundaries is not vulnerable. And when it comes so naturally, isn't out of outside of comfort zones and isn't exposing, we mistake a truly powerful thing like vulnerability for something else altogether. And then we miss out on its powerful benefits as individuals and as a society. We need personal boundaries and emotionally we need safety and trust. And is role modeling to other young boys and girls that it is okay to share your emotions to 20,000 strangers they've never met and not confide in someone who is safe and trustworthy and who also has the skills to actually hold their distress, the best way to help young people find ways to improve their health and well-being. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, wrote, There is a class of men who communicate to anyone whom they meet, matters which should be revealed to friends alone, and unload upon the chance listener whatever irks them. 
Others, again, fear to confide in their closest intimates. And if it were possible, they would not trust even themselves, burying their secrets deep in their hearts. But we should do neither. It is equally faulty to trust everyone and to trust no one. Yet the former fault is, I should say, the more ingenious, the latter, the more safe. Young people, and all of us, need to learn about disclosing sensitive information to trustworthy people and know about the dangers of leaving themselves open to ridicule, judgment, hurtful and harmful comments. Encouraging the sharing of personal emotions on such open platforms is dangerous, especially at a time when cyberbullying is becoming a bigger problem and at a time when many young people are suffering enough. This type of open sharing can add pain, clutter, noise and confusion when what is needed is the exact opposite. In Epoch's past, it would be absurd to go outside your trusted community and lay your deepest secrets on a stranger. You would probably get yourself killed. But is it just as dangerous now? The choice of weapon, just a little different. What's more, these overt displays of emotions by others can ironically make others actually feel like they are doing it alone. A type of new modern age phenomena where young people feel because they can't or don't cry on social media that their suffering doesn't count. Vulnerability has become somewhat commoditized, where courage and authenticity are replaced by well-planned and choreographed videos filmed just at the right angle. This show of vulnerability is then applauded with likes and followers as an act of courage. But people especially our younger ones, aren't actually learning about appropriate ways to cope. They are rarely taught skills to manage problems as helpful tips are replaced by outpourings of emotions. So in many ways they end up more confused. Yeah, they may resonate with the idea that others have emotions like them too, but then what? They find themselves in the same position, perhaps even more lost. And this confusion is understandable as the people sharing these messages are often the so-called mental health advocates and role models who have, who have amassed large followings and with that, an assumed credibility and knowledge. Is it a sign of just how isolated and disconnected people are? Is it a cry for help? A yearning for connection? Are these overt displays of emotions that appear extreme to some of us best understood as care-eliciting behaviours? that serve to elicit care and attention because some people don't know other ways to receive support. Is this how young people have come to communicate? Just the reflection of our modern technologically fueled society? Or is it because they feel they have no other options? Is it that community, parents, teachers, friends and elders, which used to be the best place to seek information, is now replaced by younger, more modern ways of seeking help? Or are we just so busy that this has replaced more personal ways of communication and seeking support? Or is this merely part of living in capitalist systems? And for the people spreading these videos, just another way of making money. And for many it has become just that, designed to grab attention, followers and drive traffic to their professional endeavours. And for people who should know the complex complexities of mental health, are they aware of the dangers and the example that it sets? These kind of social media mental health experts 
are now picking up speaking engagements with big corporations. And the social media wagon is now influencing the choices of HR, who look at these people's followers so they can help tick off their own corporate responsibilities and drive more awareness to all the good that they are doing. Is this just how we do it these days? Has social media and our smartphones replaced real communication and sharing? We seem to prefer a social media savvy ambassador over a clinical psychologist with practical tools to actually boost people's well-being. So we end up with a society that praises talking about our feelings, but not one which praises actually understanding them. Do we now value and trust the person behind a three-minute teary emotional video on LinkedIn more than someone who is spending that time improving their health? And who has the awareness to know the dangers of spreading such messages online and instead takes the healthier paths of action for themselves and the people around them? When we value these kinds of people behind viral videos, where do we end up as a society in 10 years' time? And what is the state of mental health then? Where do the catchy headlines and engaging videos from inexperienced mental health advocates leave our young people as they navigate an uncertain future? Where does it leave the clinical psychologists? Because in our desire to satisfy ever-shortening attention spans, do we have time for things that aren't loud, fast or sexy? If a clear mind and healthy mental states are not sexy enough, and support from experienced people is not cool enough, and if we end up with people who are just the best performers at the front of the queue, well, what then is a state of mental health? Is listening to these influencers and modern health ambassadors sharing videos and social media making the lives of our young people any easier? Is it is it like buying your house from the guy who hasn't built a house or whose house is dilapidated, run down and blows over again and again as soon as a light northeasterly comes up, i.e. when anything goes wrong? It has no solid foundations and it is probably going to fall over again the next time something goes wrong. Yep, all houses need work and time and renovations, but only minor stuff when the foundations are built right. You would get more trust from someone who has built solid foundations and a home still standing strong after 10 years, and it would be more helpful for our young people to hear messages from these people, right? We are seeing record numbers of people experiencing poor mental health, but it seems to be the only industry where people get their qualifications and credibility from being bad at the thing they are teaching. It is not good for the health and well-being of these people crying on camera. They need support not social media platforms, and certainly not a business. And it is not fair on the vulnerable and confused who watch on. We need to take greater responsibility from all levels, as individuals, as friends, mentors, elders, parents, and as schools and governments. We need to better encourage smarter use of people's time and better educate them about the dangers of listening to just anyone on social media. Before COVID, during COVID, and after COVID, this is driving up rates of mental health and teen suicide. We know the dangers of social media. We all talked about it after the release of the Netflix film, The Social Dilemma. But we quickly moved on to the next thing. Younger and younger people are facing things on social media that they simply don't have the capacity to handle. Their brains aren't developed enough to comprehend and they shouldn't have to. And then to add to that, they're getting their support about these things from people that shouldn't be giving it. On a macro level, 
we have a responsibility to better support our young people. We have safeguarded young people by putting an age restriction on drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes and driving a car, but there are no restrictions on something which is arguably more damaging to young people. Social media and the deeply unhelpful views on serious topics from people with limited experience and knowledge. People are completely addicted and it's no surprise. These platforms are designed to be addictive. They are programmed over and over and over to increase engagement and grab attention. And these influencers are just playing the same game and trying to grab a hold of limited attention. And no amount of tears and sensationalized videos will get in the way. From both of these, there seems to be little care for the well-being of those on the other end. And it is affecting the lives and health and well-being and feelings of contentment, fulfillment, meaning, positive relationships and joy for people of all ages, everywhere. And as long as we value the teary video post or a strong social media following and respect reality TV stars and influencers more than the actual character, integrity and honour of people, we are going to continue to run into more and more mental health problems. When we have people whose only experience is not being able to manage their emotions, telling people about emotions, we will face crisis after crisis. Doing the work, the right type of inner work, is the vulnerable part. Merely telling people about it isn't. And maybe the best thing we can all do for our friends and family, and especially the younger ones, despite all the challenges they will face, is teach them how to live. To live freely, creatively, and meaningfully. To have interest, to learn, to be curious, and to spend their precious little time alive in a way that is actually enriching. So, one, what about starting with a tech-free zone? Spend one night this week without the aid of your phone, TV, or laptop. We all need a tech detox, and one night without it is a great way to see just how much we depend on it. Just observe how you feel. When you have a moment of boredom, are you unconsciously reaching for your phone? If you're feeling a touch lonely, are you grabbing for the remote? One night is not too much to ask for, especially when it is critical that we cultivate a strong relationship with ourselves. And constantly depending on something else is an extremely unhelpful habit. This also gives us the added bonus of reconnecting with ourselves, something that we need to do more and more of. Especially if we don't want to be pulled and pushed from all directions and easily influenced by the opinions of others. As a parent, uncle, friend, organize one this week. Two, stretch yourself and try something new. Get scared, get scared, seriously. Try one thing this week that scares you, something that tests your limits and thereby stretches your mind. Whether it be trying a headstand, taking a cooking or language class, jumping in the ocean, or just saying hello to that person you always walk past. By scaring ourselves, challenging ourselves, and continually putting ourselves in new situations, we get to explore what makes us tick. We get to see how we feel and why we feel it. Being scared is sometimes great. We have our nerves and our sense of fear because we are alive. If we train our minds to sit with our fears, instead of always running away, we can transform every facet of our lives. When fear comes knocking at our doors again, which it will, we are now better placed to understand why and where it comes from and importantly, have more appropriate ways to deal with it rather than just running away or trying hard to ignore it. If we stay curious, open, creative and playful, we allow ourselves the chance to open up, 
to the bewildering palette of possibilities and beautiful experiences that are often available to us, but missed in our haste. There's some amazing things and people to be explored, and offline is the best place to do it. As a friend, parent, roommate, plan a stretch session this week. Three, start a real conversation. Find a friend in your life whom you're comfortable talking to and practice a daily sharing of the things you did that day, the feelings you had, or anything else that was meaningful for you. You can do this in person, over the phone, or even via a nice old-fashioned letter. Letters are cool. I sent one, one, I sent one last week. Four, water flowers. Think of a friend or family member you feel comfortable with and write down three positive qualities about them with examples of what they do to showcase these qualities. Next time you see them or talk to them, express these compliments. Good things, well, they are like Teflon and bad things like Velcro. We are good at seeing our faults. So having others recognize our goodness, it helps us grow and it helps you too because doing an act of kindness releases our feel-good chemicals and we get a little helper high while satisfying our need for connection. We boost positive emotions through appreciation and gratitude, which leads to higher functioning people and increased self-esteem. Those are all really, really good things that make you feel really good long-term, and they're super simple. Water a flower this week, water many. Because a journey and exploration and adventure and learning about ourselves and the world around us should be fun, and it should continue in each moment. Can we better help young people and all of us to live in a way that is meaningful and responsible so they do not get caught up in the dreary side of social media and technology? We need to open them up to real world experiences and adventures that inspire real connection, character, trust, love, respect and authenticity so they can make their own mind up about what is helpful and what is not and who is helpful and who is not. That's the best medicine. I'm Evan Sutter. This is the Sutter Faction Podcast. Subscribe, give it a rating and review, and tell your friends. You can find more tools to improve your well-being and the well-being of friends and family with my new book, Awake. You can get it now at all good bookstores across North America, Europe, and the UK, and you can pre-order Awake in Australia for arrival in a few weeks. And you can find out more about me at evansutter.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy.